here we are the uh the first episode of what i'm calling the steve laidlaw podcast we're going to do a redraft of the uh the 1997 nhl draft and i'm just realizing now that i should introduce our guest uh pete harling <laughs> um host of the dauber prospects radio uh podcast i think i've been on that uh, a couple of times now isn't that right pete i think so yeah yeah a couple of times always a good time so we'll probably plug that uh in and around towards the end but anyways back to setting the table as i <laughs> make an ass of myself on this um i was 10 in 1997 and so what little what little info on the draft i was getting from my sports illustrated subscription which you can only imagine is not providing a whole lot and then tsn sports desk in the mornings and uh the the cbc broadcast on hockey night in canada on saturdays um, but you mentioned that you've watched like all the drafts so um you you were probably uh tuned into this one yeah man uh i've been going to the drafts for a few years now and, and watching them on tsn for as long as they've been broadcasting them pretty much um always fascinated by the draft and you know i never knew any like back then i didn't know really any of the the players other than what they told me on the broadcast um but I, i'm a lot more prepared for them nowadays um but it's always been something that's really fascinating I, I remember having old old hockey news magazines that had like a photograph of the the draft board and they used to have like every round posted on a, on a big draft board and i remember seeing guys names that are like superstars like Sergei Fedorov that are picked in like the ninth round and whatnot and I was like oh man if I could redo that draft for the Leafs these are the guys they would have picked and this is who would have been it was like fantasy hockey before there was fantasy hockey is um, how far back it goes for me um, so yeah I love the drafts and I'm happy to participate in this little activity yeah I mean like there's there's nothing better than going back and looking through a draft and being like come on like you took nobody in the third round and then like you've got like Henrik Zetterberg's going in the seventh round and guys who are going undrafted and you're like you wasted your pick and it's it's just like I went back and I watched the 97 draft it's available on YouTube or at least the first round is and uh it's got an ageless Gord Miller on the call with uh with, <laughs> he looks the with, same doesn't he yeah he hasn't aged and uh, a young Bob McKenzie, still like an older Bob McKenzie, but like so young compared compared to Bob now. And like Bob makes the point, unlike the NBA and the NFL, where they're drafting like guys out of college, 20, 21, like 23, 24, they're, they're drafting, you know, grown ass men. And in, in the NHL, we don't do that. Like we mostly just draft 18, 17, 18, 19 year olds. And so like yeah. your hit and miss rate is crazy like every single draft, like hopefully we do more of these, but like even just this draft, you can see some of the best players, like they, they went at the top and they were supposed to go at the top, but like the, the, the misses are crazy. And it's just like, don't know, like from what a kid is at 17 to what he's going to be. And like, as much as people have gotten better at it over the years, they still suck. And that's going to make doing these redrafts like fun for, for all time until they change the draft age. Well, speaking of changing the draft age, um, this would be a perfect time to do it, right? Because you missed a good chunk of the season and they might not be able to get together for the draft. Um, who knows if they'll even be able to start the season up 
come October this year. Like, you don't know, man, this is kind of uncharted territory. So if there was a real strong appetite to move the draft from 18 to 19, this could be a good little window for that. Yeah. But as far as I know, like that's CBA related. So like whenever the next collective bargaining agreement comes in, that would probably be it. But like, you know, yeah, I think we're a year away from that, aren't we? Uh, I think it's a, a couple because they wanted to make sure that like the CBA was good so that like they secured it long enough so that Seattle could come in and not immediately have a false start uh, on yeah. their first year. So I think it's like 2022 uh, summer might be the next one or maybe 2023, but uh, we, we've still got a few years before they, they lock us out again. Mother Nature doesn't seem to want to let uh, hockey go more than five years without a lockout. So here we are. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, like, and we feel, this is how we fill the time in those downtimes. Yeah. Like talking about players losing time to lockouts and stuff like that. Uh, Dom Lustician just had uh, a good article up on The Athletic earlier this week, I think, or maybe it was last week, uh, talking about players from this draft mainly um but but other players who have lost like significant years from their career due to lockouts and and now this stoppage and like what that might cost their legacy this is like this is the joe thornton draft he's still going and like he's he's told pierre lebrun he wants to be back but you know every every game that he's missed over the years is like he's already uh, one of the top scorers of all time. And he's got a chance to, you know, crack into the top five if he isn't missing so many games. And Yeah, look at how many Hall of Fame players ended their career at the lockout season when we lost the whole season. There's a whole Hall of Fame class of guys that had to retire after missing that season. It was kind of, it's kind of hard. You know, pass the baton to Crosby nicely though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, and like a, a whole new game, like really within, yeah. within five years of that lockout, like the, the game, the game totally changed. A lot of um, good came from it. Yeah. So what do you remember from, from 97 um, around that time? Like what, what, what were the highlights for you hockey wise, non-hockey wise? Um, 97. So I was in university, I think, or just, year removed I only did about two years um so I was um living with a, a house full of roommates and <clears throat> I don't remember much <laughs> from that year understandably um, yeah yeah um that's a long time ago man but uh Detroit won the cup that year I mean what's funny about it is Toronto was in a conference in like the central conference with like Detroit Chicago St. Louis and Dallas and Phoenix yeah, um, yeah, they were in the West. Kind of, yeah, yeah, that was way back. Um, and they were terrible. Nothing's changed there. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately, not much, man. Yeah. That was a long I mean, time ago. Some research, um, some of it from, from having watched, uh, rewatched this draft on YouTube, um, and then some of it just like, you know, offhand. Like you said, the Wings win their first back-to-back cups and like that really redefines Steve Eiserman's legacy in a lot of ways. And like, you know, you can see a, a, there's some parallels there between like his legacy and how Joe Thornton goes his whole career. Like, I mean, there's still time for him, but he hasn't won a cup yet. And like that would, that would definitely change his outlook. And like Eiserman is like, he's, he wasn't as far along as 
Thornton is, but like he's he's definitely um, a guy who his you know his legacy changed as a result of winning a cup. So you know if Thornton wins one three four years ago, like that would you know that that would be very similar. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, speaking of changing of eras as well, it was kind of near the end of the the Wayne and and Gretzky reign. I think it's right around when when Wayne was traded to St. Louis. Um, yeah, I think I think that was the year before. We do see fallout uh, of that in this draft, and we don't want to step on that, so we'll get to that later. But um, uh, the draft, uh, this draft, takes place in Pittsburgh, and it's right after Mario Lemieux is retired. Um, so this is kind of like the the beginning of the end of, of an era uh, for for the Penguins. Hartford has just been moved to Carolina. Um, so funny moments from, from the draft floor, they have their logo at their draft table, but, uh, when, when they use one of their draft picks, uh, to draft a kid, uh, he goes up there and they don't have a sweater ready for him. So he has to wear a blank white sweater with the NHL crest on the front. And so he puts it on and he's posing with it. And like, I'm pretty sure they gave him a Hartford Whalers hat but like he won't put it on and it's all hilarious comedy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. Uh, I love stories like that from the draft. Like when Bobby Clark forgot, uh, forgot the name when he went with Claude Giroux's name. Right. Uh, That was one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, this is this is right before the NHL expands um, to Nashville and then and then Atlanta and Minnesota and Columbus. Um, there are a few big front office shifts um, that happen. So Darcy Regeer is made the uh, the new GM in in Buffalo. So I mean he has a, he has a pretty good run there. And I guess like Ted Nolan well, Hasek helps that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But like, even after Hasek leaves, like they were good post lockout, like they nailed some drafts. Ted Nolan is still the head coach there. I think he's coming off like coach of the year, but he's up for a contract. And and they, I guess like, so they're interviewing him at the draft. He's like, yeah, I want to be back and all this stuff. And like, they end up like lowballing him with a one year offer and he rejects it. So then like, he doesn't coach again for like a decade. Yeah, there's. I don't know what happened there, but there's a there's an inside story that be told somewhere down the road where he got blacklisted for a while. I mean, like mm-hmm. he won Coach of the Year and then didn't get re-signed, and no one else picked him up for like ever until like the Islanders got him like a decade later. Yeah, yeah. David Poyle was just fired in Washington, so he gets replaced by George McPhee, who makes his first pick uh, with the Capitals, and then he runs that organization for a decade. Poyle goes over to Nashville the next year and he's still their GM. So, you know, some big changes happening in and around there. This is also like in and around where there's like a real lull in talent uh, coming into the league. So, like I said, from like, I think I told you like 93 to 03, those years in between, like this, the 97 draft is maybe the best draft. 95 and 96 are offable. They are unredraftable. Like, we won't do it. We will never go back and redraft 96 because it's like Zidane Chara and then nothing. Chris Phillips is the first pick in that draft. 
and it's Daniel like, Briere. Yeah, he's he's uh, good. He, yeah, uh, he's he's a very good player. He had he had some moments, <laughs> but not but a not a superstar. It's not a franchise not redraftable. Player. Like yeah. you, you it, it's almost like uh, like NBC uh, must see Thursday nights, and they had that like epic run of fifteen years of like just awesome sitcoms, and then it's like after Community and Parks and Rec and and The Office go off the air, like like it's dark for a few <laughs> years there. And then finally, like some stuff pops up again, but it's that's that's what '95 and '96 are. It's like the dark years. '98 wasn't so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like uh, the Calvia and Richards in Tampa. That's who because uh, beefs that one up coming in late. Absolutely. Um, Tange Gomez, Markov, Whoa. Simon Gagne. There's some good players in that one, but yeah, we, there's all there's also a lot of players in the first round. And you're like, who the heck is that? Yeah, never heard it. Never heard of him. <laughs> Yeah. And, and there's a whole lot of that here in 97 as well yeah um gord miller suggests um that he's heard uh it might be the best draft in 20 years well obviously that that, that proves to not be the case but um you know that's that just goes to show what what a crapshoot this is i think like in, unless anything else has popped out to you pete i think we just we run down what the actual uh the actual picks were and then we can we can kind of go from there uh, with our redraft. Coming into this draft, like everyone knows that Joe Thornton is going number one, and like Boston's like even like told him like like he's had like the meetings pre like beforehand. Like it's it's as set in stone as it can possibly be. So Thornton goes number one to Boston, and he's like he's a slam dunk. He he did some things at the world juniors that year. And like, he had ridiculous numbers with the Greyhounds. Um, this is like the third year of the NHL draft lottery. Um, and like back in the nineties, you could move up a max of four positions, but there was only one lottery winner. Anyways, Boston's the worst team in the league uh, that year and they win the lottery anyway. So Boston slam dunk a delightful amount of transparency with their decision to take him number one. And then we've got uh, Marlowe goes number two to, uh, to San Jose. And again, pretty much consensus um, off the telecast. Bob, Bob suggests that there might be some questions about his heart or uh, his intensity. Um, and he even has to address it like on the floor, which is, horribly awkward for like a 17 18 year old to have to like have his his heart and intensity question but it's like you know it gets out there in the media so like he's he's been reading this in like magazines and, and i can only imagine how horrible that is yeah, i'm sure he was well coached on how to answer that though well it may, maybe not like this is the 90s i swear some of these kids you watch it and you're like oh they have not been coached at all like these days they know how to do an interview better than better than some people in the media um, yeah. you know, coming out of junior. Oli Jokinen goes number three to Los Angeles. Lot, lots of talk on the, uh, the, the telecast of them already having too many European players, which is like, that's a take that is aged quite poorly. I'm looking at the draft board as we speak on, on elite prospects. And there's a lot of Canadian flags on it. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, uh, but I think uh, I think the NHL has realized that it's a pretty big world. 
uh, compared <laughs> to back then. Yeah. Yeah, get those frequent flyer miles going. Yeah. <laughs> number four and number five, uh, the Islanders are picking back to back. So, Pete, we've got a lot to unpack here. So, I want to start with the trade uh, that lands the Islanders, the number four pick. Uh, the number five pick is their own pick. So, we'll start with the Leafs pick at number four, which they acquired. Uh, at the deadline in 96, so a year prior, in a trade, uh, they sent the Leafs Wendell Clark, uh, Matthew Schneider, and DJ Smith for uh, an incredibly young Kenny Johnson, Darby Hendrickson, Sean Haggerty, and then this pick, Mike Milbury. Kind of a great trade. Yeah, you know, the uh, Leafs were happy to get their you know if it was another team that made this trade and got Wendell Clark it it would have been a, a, a total loss for them but Wendell going back to Toronto um translated the same way on the ice as it would have for any other team but in the in the community in Toronto with fans you know it was it was a home run and Wendell Clark is is God in Toronto uh, and for him to come back and play in the back nine of his career and with the Leafs and they ended up going on, you know, cup runs with him and, and Gilmore. Um, so while well, they lost the trade, it wasn't a complete disaster. Um, but it was, you know, for Mike Milbury, it's a huge win for him and his track record for sure. Uh, and, you know, they didn't get anything. All the other stuff from they got from Toronto, Kenny Johnson was okay. The other two players are just their throw-ins, right? Yeah, They're back for sure. The, the, real, the real piece in this is, of course, the pick. And they didn't take Daniel Kachuk. They took Roberto Luongo. So they, uh, they really nailed it. So yeah, yeah, they, good, good, good for them, but it wasn't a total loss for the Leafs. They nailed that pick. The 97 draft, there is a lot of Mike Milbury involved. Before it's even his pick, they're showing him on the draft floor. He's having conversations with people while eating handfuls of popcorn, just terrible food etiquette. Just just mowing it down and having conversations. Yeah, I think we'll take that guy. Um, they they interview him, and he's like, yep, Luongo's not making it past us at four and five. Like, we're definitely having that. You know, we're, we're probably going to look to trade one of our picks. Like, we're going to have lots of conversations. So they take Luongo at four. And then Milbury walks off stage, and he starts doing a lap of the of the draft floor talking to different GMs, trying to shop number five. So he goes over and he talks to Calgary, who's up at number six. And he's like, he's, he's probably trying to trade down. And then he goes over and he takes his whole 15 minutes. And like, if you tried to do this in a fantasy draft, you, you would be killed. <laughs> you would be strung up and quartered on the spot. Just, just all kinds of uncouth etiquette by Milbury in this draft. He takes Luongo, compares him to Patrick Waugh, which is just setting things off, uh, like horrible expectations. Luongo is the highest a goal he's ever been picked. And then he's lobbing those kind of expectations. And like, it's what, within two years that he trades them away? <laughs> like, it's, it's just Milbury. And the return, the return that he gets for him 
is oh man oh like it is oh man we'll get to it later but they end up getting Ole Jokinen yeah so they've got the number three the number four and the number five pick from this draft at one point and they trade Jokinen and Luongo for like Oleg Kavasha and someone else who's not good enough to remember Mark that Parrish. happened yeah Mark yeah they they wow. perished with that trade. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like uh oh it's no problem because we're taking di pietro one and di pietro will be even better than luongo yeah and in his defense like di pietro when he was healthy he had some runs he had some runs but he was also like 220 pounds of like thick muscle and then like trying to do butterfly with that kind of body like you're going to destroy yourself so yeah it it, it didn't work out so he ends up not trading the pick they pick at five they take mike brewer eric sorry yeah eric brewer my mistake thank you for the correction um they take him and then milbury they interview him after that pick and he's like yep you know, we've got uh, we've got the best young defense corps in the league, which we got to unpack this. They've got a 20-year-old Brian Burrard who's coming off a season where he won Rookie of the Year. He was good. And if not yeah. for that eye injury, they Do you trade him funny Brian Burrard? Yes. Do you want to hear a funny Brian Burrard story? I need to hear this. Okay, so I, was, I had my friends up. <clears throat> we were doing a, a draft in my basement, and we had like a, a board on the wall – and a buddy of mine came along. So as a whole bunch of guys came up from Toronto to Ottawa for the weekend. And we had a drunk fest and poker night and doing a fantasy draft. It was a great time. There's one guy, though, he's super hilarious. He, he, he didn't really follow hockey that much. He just came for the, the booze and the company. So he was kind enough to be the, the draft marshal. Like, okay, you're up, Steve. Who's your pick? And, and then write it on the board, right? And he had like a... a, a a funny quip for pretty much every player that was picked. Right. And someone takes Brian Burrard and this was after the, the injury. So he's writing Brian. He's like, Brian, is that with one eye? <laughs> oh, Oh, Oh <sighs> yeah. That, oh, that's like, that's, that's like a team name. <laughs> the Brian's with one eye. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean to hijack your. No, your, like hijack away. Um, they'd trade Burrard within two years. They've got a 22-year-old Brian McCabe coming off a solid sophomore year. He's pre- pretty good. Well, they'd trade him like the next year with Todd Bertuzzi for Trevor Din- Linden at the deadline, and they missed the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They've got a 23-year-old Kenny Johnson, who happened to score 14 goals um, the the upcoming season. And he had a pretty good career for the Isles. Like, yeah, I think he poo-pooed him a little bit as a Leaf fan who who gave up on him. But, like, Janssen had a career. Yeah, no, he was solid. They got a 24-year-old Scott Lachance. Again, traded within two years. Uh, 29-year-old Rich Pilon is heavily involved in this team for many years to come. Uh, 22-year-old Jason Stradwick is on the farm club and he'd give him some games and then they trade him also to Vancouver at the upcoming deadline for Gino Ojik. Uh, 21-year-old Jason Holland. Eh, I mean, 
he, he never panned out, but that year he scored 14 goals and 39 points um, in the AHL as a rookie. So they kind of figured he was going to be good. Uh, they got the rights to a 22-year-old Dick Tarnstrom, and he ends up playing some games. Um, 20-year-old Zdeno Chara turning pro that year. And, I mean, before they trade him away, he, he gave them some games. And, and then they've got Eric Brewer. So, like, I'm not even sure Milbury's wrong. Like, they had, they had some talent. Yeah, and they purged it all, and what'd they get for it? <laughs> Guaranteed draft lottery for the next decade. Oh, man. I don't think it would shock you to find out that uh, the infamous John Spano was, uh, was the owner of the team at the time. And you can throw owner with some asterisks around that. Yeah. No, I don't know his story very well, but I, I'm pretty sure he owned the team and didn't have any money. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite fraudulent. He had, yeah. uh, it, it, was, it, was a big, uh, it was a big 30 for 30 doc. Um, oh man! Worth the NHL doesn't have a good track record with with dodgy owners. Oh man! So Mike Milbury, uh, he yeah. was—I uh, would much rather he still be a GM than uh, on the broadcast. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than beating a fan over the head with his own shoe. <laughs> that's the—that's uh, the legacy for him right there. It's not the trades. It's not the broadcast career. It's, it's beating a fan over the head with his own shoe. Oh, man. That was like the hockey version of the, the Malice at the Palace. Yeah. So at number six, you, you referenced him, him earlier. Uh, Daniel Kachuk to the Flames. Kind of a big-time bust, but, like, you look into it, and, like, apparently he was just derailed by concussions. That can happen. Yeah, no relation to the Kachuk family. Different spelling, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I liked him. I, I had my eye on him for a while. Um, you know, he never, he never panned out. He put up some good numbers in other leagues, but uh, yeah, he never made it. That's too bad. Yeah, a captain at seventeen and ninety-four points yeah. in the OHL, and then he crushed the World Juniors the next year, and then yeah. He had a great rookie debut in the AHL and then nothing. Yeah. Number seven, Paul Mara goes to Tampa Bay. I don't really have much to say about that. Yeah, he played some games, but yeah, not very noteworthy. Not he had really a long fantasy career. relevant. He was a uh, he was a big guy who could who could kind of skate, and I mean that's that that well, that was a career cool in the in yeah. the nineties. Um, number eight, Sergey Samsonov to Boston as well. So uh, he ends up winning the Calder that year, not Joe Thornton. So that, uh, like that, that's very interesting for, uh, for Boston. He was a Russian who played in the IHL, probably like a, a risky maneuver for him to come over. And like, apparently his parents came over as well, but playing pro as like an 18 year old in North America and having to acclimate, you know, that's, that's a very challenging circumstance, but like he was a hit right of way. Uh, for for the Bruins, and if, yeah, if, fan favorite there too. Bruins fans love him. Yeah, so this is the third of three firsts that the Bruins got um, for. Like it ended up being a trade, but it was essentially um, RFA compensation for the Whalers having signed away Glenn Wesley. Um, and like this is back 
in the 90s when like the rules for restrictive free agency were like they were out there like every single it seems like every single deal had its own solution so you're basically like forcing a trade i think it's the blues end up having to give five first rounders to the caps for signing away scott stevens and then a year later they sign brendan shanahan from the devils and the devils are like well we want you to give us stevens and then it goes to arbitration and the arbitrator is like, yeah, you've got to give them Stevens. So it's like these forced trades and there's like, there's no rubric. So it's like, man, can I have nineties RFA negotiations back? Like, <laughs> Yeah. And looking imagine? at the, the first round and the players who are picked, I, Hey, I got no problem giving you three first round picks for hall of fame players. Yeah, absolutely. You, you look at it. Like I, I almost think like the whalers, do you think they win that trade? Um, who who are the players that they picked in '95 and '96? Do you know? Uh, they they picked. Uh, I think it's like a McLaren in '95 with the number nine. Kyle pick. McLaren. Yeah. Yeah, and then like so, I think someone who never makes it in '96 because '96 again was the worst draft. And then Samsonov, real good player, but like arguably Wesley had a better career. Now half of it was spent in Boston he never hits those, those offensive highs uh, with Hartford and then ultimately Carolina that he did in Boston. Um, Mm -hmm. But like he immediately wears a letter for them and he plays nine years for them. They go to the O2 cup final. He gets them a second from Toronto at the deadline in O3. And then he comes back, which is like one of those scenarios that like every team dreams up when they're, trading a rental at the deadline the guy ends up coming back and signing with the team that he was traded from and then they win the cup in 06 like i think i think three picks for for a top four defenseman like that, that worked out pretty well for them yeah samsonov makes it makes it pretty close because you know he had a pretty good run um he did and he had yeah he had a nice career for for boston but uh yeah glenn wesley was i mean he's the kind of guy you you, you can win some games with, win some championships with. And he and he and Ray Bork really anchored that blue line for a long time. And he had a lot of tread left on the tire when they signed him. So, yeah, yeah, I give the edge to Hartford there. Um, so at number nine, Washington takes Nick Boynton, like another guy. He had a career, but uh, much. Um, Vancouver takes Brad Ferentz. Um, at number 10 and this pick is notable for two reasons so this is the first year of uh, the orca logo for uh, vancouver and um, when you see it on the telecast someone screams out free willy uh, when it gets (laughs) announced that it's their pick so that's the 90s for you Brad Ferentz, they're hyping him on the the broadcast for having 320 penalty minutes, which is just like, like that ages horribly. He's not even the best Ferentz in this draft. No, it's Andrew. Yeah. They both had careers, but, but Andrew, like he, he plays a factor in several cup finalist teams. I think he goes three times. Yep. Yeah, you know, he's definitely the the better Ferentz between the two. Um, I looked that up, actually. So, Brad Ferentz, pick 10th overall, uh, 6'3", 209, um, versus Andrew Ferentz, 5'11", 183. Brad played 250 games. 
Andrew played 907. Brad had 34 points in 250 games. And Andrew Ference had 225. So no, no comparison. I mean, they're different style of players. You got the, the offensive defenseman and the, the tough guy. But, yeah. I mean, didn't they learn from the Courtney Cordic trade that you take skill over, over knuckles every time? Apparently they did not. Anyway, uh, the Ferences. Yep. At yeah. 10. So number 11, uh, Jason Ward goes to Montreal. Number 12, Marion Hossa goes to Ottawa. So this is the mm. first time that the Senators pick outside the top three. And like, you can argue that's the best draft pick that they made to that, to that date. Still a top three pick in this draft. Absolutely. He's described as uh, one dimensional, all offense, which is thinking about what he turns into is crazy to think about. They interviewed Jacques Martin and he's like, I would much rather have a guy who is all offense because it's way easier to develop your defensive ability than it is to develop the skill to score goals. So like, we're super excited to have this guy. And yeah, great take Jacques Martin. Yeah, that's the truth. Dan Cleary goes number 13 to Chicago. Um, you have any memories of, of Cleary before he hits the NHL? Apparently he was pretty hyped up before. Yeah, yeah, he was a, he was a big deal. So he kind of dropped from where I think he was ranked in this draft. He, he, there was high expectations for him. He was supposed to be a star player. He was a star player in junior. He even scored at an exponential rate in the AHL, but he just could not stick in the NHL um, with Chicago. And then he ends up getting a chance with Detroit and redefines himself a little bit like Marion Hossa, less offense, but you know, rounds out his his game and and becomes a very valuable player and ends up having a very long career it's a credit to him, you know, like a lot of players will have to do that. They'll get drafted into the NHL being player type a, and in order for them to make it to the NHL, they they've got to evolve and become a totally different style player in order to either make the NHL or play more than two or three seasons. Uh, and Daniel Cleary and Marion Hossa are really good examples of that. Number 14, Michelle reason gets taken by Edmonton. So this is the first Swiss train player ever to, uh, to be drafted. Glenn Sather compares him to, uh, or sorry, he says he shoots like Yari Curry, which he did not. Shoots, shoots pool like Yari Curry, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I've never heard of him. Number 15, Matt Zoltek gets selected by Los Angeles. And this is the, uh, this is one of the biggest, bigger pieces of the Gretzky trade from uh, LA to St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is an interesting little tidbit. I I kind of forgot about him and reviewing this, um, doing a little research on it was, was kind of fun. So he was involved in the Gretzky trade. So Los Angeles trades Gretzky, um, pending unrestricted free agent to St. Louis for uh, a couple of crappy players and then a 96 fifth and this first round pick in, in 97. So in order for 
LA to recover anything. They gotta they gotta nail this pick. So they take this Matt Zoltik kid who's uh, playing on the Ottawa 67s at the time, and they're a Memorial Cup champion. Um, playing with Brian Campbell, Mark Bell, Nick Boyton, Xenon Kanopka. Remember that name? That's oh, man. He was on that team? Yeah, man. Oh, shit. Uh, so they win the uh, Memorial Cup. He has a fantastic junior career. He's a prolific goal scorer. Um, you know, like Ottawa 67 fans will remember him. They loved him. Um, so, you know, big expectations, right? This is one of those junior players that, you kind of rubbing your hands that you get like, yeah, man, we got ourselves a legit prospect here. And he totally flames out. Um, doesn't have much of a pro career to speak of. Just can't really translate to the, to the pro level for one reason or another. Yeah. The Los Angeles Kings kind of had to hit and they missed. Um, that's what happens with draft picks, right? Like even in fantasy, sometimes you can, you can, trade your star player and, and get some picks and, and rebuild. And unless you do your homework and quite frankly, often get a little lucky and pick a player that, that pans out, you just never know with prospects. Um, they could totally flame out or uh, you could have a prospect and you trade him, And then all of a sudden a year or two later, he's, he's a superstar. It's unknown commodities. It's, it's, it's tricky business trading with those. And St. Louis thought they had a chance to win that year and that Wayne would put them over the top and like, maybe they hope they could resign him. I don't know, but uh, he had a cup of coffee in St. Louis and then finished his career in New York. So you're saying that trade was a lose, lose. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, at least no one got took to the cleaners. Well, St. Louis got to say that they got Wayne Gretzky in their organization. So St. Louis won the trade. Right. Even though they only had him for, what was it like four months? Maybe they can say that Wayne Gretzky played for the St. Louis blues. That counts for something. So there were some pretty terrible picks in there. Do you want to, do you want to rewrite some history? Do the redraft? Yeah. Well, the rest of the first round, it's not really worth talking about. There's, there's not much else in the first round. Brendan Morrow is probably the most recognizable name out of yeah. anyone else picked in the first round. There's some other guys that went a little bit later, but if all these NHL gems could do it again, what would it look like? Yeah. So I think, I think the way we're going to do this is we're going to redo the top 15. Some drafts, it, it would make sense to do like 20, you do 20 or 30 and it'd be entertaining, but like some drafts like 96, you can do three picks and then it's like, kill me. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna redo the top 15 which like it makes sense like the the lottery right now is is 15 so we'll redo the the, the draft lottery type picks kind of the way i want to do this we'll just go back and forth right like you pick i'll pick you pick i'll pick and, and we'll go back and forth with these players like so few of them make the jump immediately you could look at team need but any team that's picking for need is failing in these drafts like you just pick the best player and that's going to take you so much farther so i think that for our redraft like we should just pick the best player yep all right so where do you want to pick number one or do you want to pick number two uh i think it only gets interesting at three so uh you're the host i'll, I'll leave it to you 
Okay, so you know what? Courtesy, I will allow you to pick number one. All right, so Boston Bruins with the first overall pick. Um, back in 97, took Joe Thornton, and I think they made two mistakes in his career. Picking him number one overall was not one of them. So they would be well advised to pick him first overall again. He's the best player in, in the draft. And I don't think there's, there's a whole lot of debate about that. Um, playing him in the NHL out of the draft, I think, was a mistake. It's almost like there's this unwritten rule that says if you're the first overall pick, you have to play in the NHL. Like, it's expected of you. And if you don't, then, then the team made a mistake picking you. And I think that's heavily flawed logic and reasoning. And I think Joe Thornton, the legacy of his career, could be the poster boy for that he ended up having a really nice career anyways but his first season was was terrible i think he had like nine points or something something really atrocious like that um yeah he plays like eight minutes a night and like doesn't even play a full season like he's getting the full-on horrible we're trying to ruin this rookie treatment could not have been deployed worse right why would I don't understand why teams would do that? And if, just because you picked a player first overall because he's going to have the best career doesn't necessarily mean he needs to play in the NHL at 18 years old. I mean, there's a lot of kids who aren't capable of handling that lifestyle at 18 years old and need to stay in junior. And I think Joe Thornton was was maybe one of them. He's a different player now. So their handling of him as a rookie was was all wrong. And then I think that led to their second mistake. So it was, you know, bad money after bad and they traded him away um in a deal i thought they lost but picking him first overall in this draft was bang on yeah D- did you see the uh the recent uh q a with brian burke where he was talking about anaheim hearing that he was on the block and them having a better trade offer uh, I didn't read any of the articles. I, I just saw that he was having a bit of a pissing match with um, whoever the Bruins GM was at the time. Yeah, I can't remember his name now. But I'll unpack the offer for you if you want. Yeah, man. Okay, so apparently his offer was, I could protect five guys off my roster. And then you could pick anyone else off that, like any player you want, no restrictions. You think you want that guy? Okay, that's your guy. Plus, we'll add in another player. We'll give you a prospect and a first. And that, that was the offer. Now, I don't know what Boston's like intent, intentions are in 05 when, when they make that deal. But like they got three legitimate NHL players from San Jose in uh, Marco Sturm, uh, Brad Stewart, and Wayne Primo. You look at the Ducks roster at that time. They're pretty much obviously going to protect Niedermeyer, Solane. You would assume Jaguar. He was still an asset at that time. Like he had, he's not that far removed from a Conn Smythe when they didn't even win. Um, and then you would hope Getzlaff and Perry would be protected. They were both on the roster at that point, but like not positive on that. So that leaves you like Andy McDonald, who was undrafted and had scored, his career high was like 30 points up to that point. Uh, Joffrey Lupel, who was a lottery pick. Um, Francois Beauchemin, who they just picked up 
uh, in the, the Sergei Fedorov, oh God, this guy's a cancer, we need to get him out of the room trade. And then Chris Kunitz, who they literally lost on waivers for two games to Atlanta earlier in the year. And those are like the best guys to pick from. So you get like one of those and then probably like a scrub player. And then you start looking at the prospects that they could have taken. If it's Bobby Ryan, then we're talking about something. But if it ends up like the Oilers trade a year later and it's Ladislas Smead, then we're not talking about much. No. And as that, as that Oilers trade would later prove, a first rounder from the Ducks, that's probably not going to turn into much. Like I think one of them turned into Clefbaum. And that's about as far as that went. So if you're basically giving them the Chris Pronger package to get Joe Thornton, like, I don't know, wouldn't you just rather get the Chris Pronger deal done a year later and when you're prepping 07? Um, and if you're Boston, both trades kind of suck. So get your shit together, Boston, because you're trading, you're trading a guy in the middle of, of his heart trophy <laughs> campaign yeah i really like i really like brian burke but uh that that trade offer is not really blowing my skirt up at all um it is it is probably better but again it depends like what what is ownership telling you they want too right like we want to compete now well then that offer is not going to do it right another interesting little thing i do remember about that trade is i think it broke during at night during a game or whatever Uh, i was watching um, a leaf came and I think it was Pat Quinn was the the coach of the GM at the time or, or maybe even both um, and then after the game he was being interviewed in the hallway and one of the reporters asked him what his thoughts were on that trade and he's like I don't know what you're talking about so they they broke the trade to him so you got to see his like live on TV you got to see his reaction to the trade and he was just like I'm shocked <laughs> oh man, I need that has to be on YouTube. I need there was that. like there was like a pause. He was just like, I'm shocked. Like he didn't know what to say. Like that's it. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. That was that yeah. Was, and I was like, I know, right? Like you guys could have done better. Yeah. Anyhow, Joe Thornton, pretty much a lock for the Hall of Fame. He has seven years, and some of them are pretty good for Boston before he even goes to the Sharks. Uh, he gets a Hart Trophy, an Art Ross, first-team All-Star. He's a second-team All-Star three other times. Hart votes in nine different years. He's number 14 all-time in scoring, 400-plus goals, 1,000-plus assists. He's over 1,500 points, like, slam dunk. He's won everything, everything but a Stanley Cup. Yeah, like, he had multiple gold medals. Like, this, this guy's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he's so got think, size, he can speed, passing. Yeah, he's a hell of a player. Yeah. Great pick at number one. Well done, Boston. Well done, Pete. Yeah. That so one that, was easy. Yeah. So that, that, that brings me up at number two. And San Jose, like, they did well with Marlowe. The guy might end up playing, like, the most games ever. He could still skate like the wind. 23 years later from from this draft he played yeah, he and thornton i think are the only active players in the nhl from this draft still yeah he, longevity he, counts for something oh man 
he played immediately. He was uh, 10 plus shooting percentage, like almost immediately. So like 20 plus goals almost every single year. Never turned into your legit number one center, but still a good top six player. But yeah. I'm not taking him number two. <gasps> wow. I'm taking Roberto Luongo, number two. Number Luongo, three, huh? Number three all time in wins, 489. Number nine all time in shutouts, 77. Somehow never won a Vesna. But he was top five in Vesna voting five times. Uh, second team all-star two times. Heart votes in six different years, which tells you what an MVP he was. He was a uh, runner-up for the Heart and the Vesna um, one year. The guy had an immaculate... So you're saying he's, so he's going to be the next Patrick Watt? Apparently not. He doesn't have any <laughs> rings plugging his ears. Not one ring. He can hear everything. <laughs> no, you can't hear anything because that contract is is in the way. Yeah. Um, so you're just taking that don't don't draft a goalie in the first round theory and throwing that right in the dumpster, huh? Well, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of that theory. Like, if we do more of these drafts, you're going to see like there's some examples of why you don't do that. But if I'm getting an Insta Hall of Famer, then I'm going to do that. Yeah, I agree. There are some exceptions in the Longos. Longos one of them. Yeah, I, I it's like. You know the saying on goaltending, where it's goaltending is is fifty percent of everything, unless you don't have it, and then it's everything. Yeah. So you, you want to have it, and he was maybe the second best goaltender of his generation. You want to have an argument with Henrik Lundqvist? I, I could go either way. Yeah, neither one of them won a Stanley Cup, but they won just about everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Luongo goes number two. That brings me back on the clock. Uh, Los Angeles Kings with a third overall pick. They actually took Ole Jokinen. Um, they're not going to do that. Not that it would be an absolutely terrible pick, but I think you can do better um, with a guy that doesn't look like Skeletor uh, and go with the guy you passed on, Patrick Marlowe. You know what? Everything you're talking about him made me think, you know, wow, that's like Mike Gartner of the 90s, though. You know, he's fast, he's very consistent, reliable goal scorer. Um, he was versatile. He was reliable offensively, defensively. And like I said, longevity counts for something. The guys played more games than pretty much anyone on this list. except for Pete, maybe Can Thornton. I stop you here? Yeah. I am shocked at this pick. Are you really? Yes. That's okay. Okay, keep making the case. I'm here for it. Um, that's pretty much it, man. I think he's, uh, he's the next highest scoring player out of this draft after Thornton. There's a lot to like about him. Okay. I guess with number four, I am sprinting up to the stage as, as, uh, Mike Milbury and I am taking Marion Hosa. So excited to make this pick. He he had heart votes as many times as Marlowe did. He didn't do it for nearly as long, but was a Selkie candidate 
multiple times as a winger. Uh, second team all-star one time, not something that Marlowe ever did. Three Stanley Cups was a, was a key piece of that. And like m- multiple cup finalists. He's number 57 all time in scoring. He's not that far behind Marlowe, despite playing fewer games. Um, I would I would way rather have Hosa's career than Marlowe's. Marlowe is the Hall of Very Good, and Hosa is a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Fair enough. I, I think the, the legacy for Hosa's career should be that he made it to the Stanley Cup Finals one year and lost and then signed with the team that he lost to. And then the other team won the next year. That was yeah. pretty. And that was pretty awesome. And hey, he got the last laugh though because he won what two with Chicago, nine with Pittsburgh, nine with Detroit, two won, with Chicago. I think he won all three with Chicago. Three, well, yeah. and even better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like, I think I think his legacy would have been. We could have the conversation because this draft, all about the biggest losers in hockey history if Hosa doesn't uh, find the, the Blackhawks and, and help push them over the hump because we're talking multiple guys at the top who all lost in the cup final. And that's as close as they got in this draft. Yeah. Speaking but of which, another guy that, that never had a sniff at the Stanley cup. Um, I think uh, New York Islanders go with Hosa as their First pick at fourth overall with you. And then with me, I get to pick for them again at fifth overall. And this is where it gets, this is where it starts to get thinning out a little bit. There's no more Hall of Famers after this. Um, I think Ole Okunen is is probably the better bet here. They picked him. Well, they picked him third overall. Islanders end up getting him in, in the end, but uh, they get him a little bit sooner than later with this redraft, and they, they draft him at fifth. They obviously liked him, so that's probably not a stretch that they would pick him. You know, he won a lot, just not Stanley Cups. Man, so uh, are, are the Islanders still trading him for Ole Kavasha in, in your redraft? Or? <laughs> that, makes, that does make that complicated. Or was he traded for Mark Parrish in that trade? Maybe, maybe they reverse it. <laughs> so not only did Jokinen not win a cup he only made the playoffs once he six games six games with Calgary he had a very very good career 1231 games regular season and none of it mattered nope his greatest <laughs> legacy is not eating a waffle that's, well, he won some stuff. That's that's what people will remember about him, is yeah. seeing seeing an imaginary waffle and eating. That's what people will remember about him. <laughs> he, uh, he missing all the playoffs all those years did allow him the opportunity to succeed at the World Championships regularly. He was a regular at the World Championships. Yeah, I, I'm sure that uh, they knew him on a first name basis at that point. <laughs> it was always available. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I am up at number six, 
And this is the Calgary Flames, who again whiffed making the Kachuk pick. I'm I'm really excited. Like I had I had him number four. Um, Brian Campbell, who soupy. Did anyone benefit more from the 04 lockout than Brian Campbell? Because like he 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 does basically nothing before the lockout, and then emerges from the lockout, and he's getting Norris votes. He got Hart votes one year. He won the Lady Bing as a defenseman. Um, he wins the Cup once. Uh, that that first Blackhawks Cup winner. He's a second team All Star one time. He was in the mix with. Lidstrom, Keith, Chara, Carlson, Subban, Doughty. Those are the guys who won Norse's in his career. Plus you've got like Latang and Weber and Suter all in the mix during his career. Yeah, yeah. He, he scored a lot of points, so he was fantasy relevant. Um, but unless you watched or you remember watching him play, like one of the more underrated components of his games was he could really hit. Like man, hard. He had some highlight hits he crushed people he was throwing butt checks like he yeah. was nicholas cronwall or rob blake and he like was he even six foot 180 pounds soaking wet yeah something like that yeah no he yeah you know he he knew how to throw his weight around uh, I, I like campbell he was good he was one of those ottawa 67s players that i was talking about from that yeah team. i mean who, who knew like he he went i think like in the fifth round or something like that and yeah, turns like, out he was the best guy off that team and yeah. arguably he, he wasn't at, he wasn't at the time but he certainly turned into having the best pro career it makes you think of some teams that are really good right now and junior hockey like ottawa 67s are there again and you, you look at their team and you think wow they've got some you know some some notable players some guys are going to go in the first round of this year's draft. And you wonder, is he actually the best player on that team when it's all said and done? Like in, in 15 years when people are doing the redraft of this draft, who are they going to take first off that 67s team? So you're saying in 2020, don't draft Jack Quinn, draft the third pairing defenseman? <laughs> go with Hoffenmeyer, not Marco Rossi, yeah. Uh, all right. So you took Soupy to Calgary at six. That's pretty solid. I like your style there. I think uh, Tampa Bay's up now. Um, it's tempting to take Samson off, but uh, I'm going to go with Brendan Morrow. I think he provided a little bit more than than just offense. So I like the the well roundedness of his game. Provided plenty of offense. He's a very good offensive scorer. He outscored Samsonov career-wise uh games played might have had something to do with that but you know he's good defensively physical he wore a letter for a lot of his career too so i like moro here yeah i had them in it in that exact order moro has two 30 goal seasons samsonov never gets to that level uh seven seasons with 20 goals or more samsonov gets there five times they both had a couple of 70 point seasons Obviously, Morrow's bringing a lot more to the table. Um, he actually got Selkie votes. That was never something you were going to hear from Samsonov. Um, <laughs> he, Morrow finally makes it uh, to the NHL with the Stars the year after they win the Cup, so he misses out on that. But uh, they're relevant for, for quite a few years. They made a conference finals a couple of times. He's a fourth liner on, 
on like the 2015 cup finalist team with Tampa Bay. So he had some moments. I'm going to take Samson off with number eight for Boston again. So again, like he was in the mix, like his first seven years, again, he was, he was traded the same year as Thornton was. So it was almost, they were like, discard this era. We must not have it. Get rid of it. So, so they shed that. And that's interesting because we're, we're saying that they picked the exact right players for where they picked. And yet they couldn't have done any better with the first and the eighth pick. And, uh, even with revisionist history, and they still, nah, forget that. Yeah, because they made terrible trades. Yeah, they do. Although Samsonov, I think his contract was expiring, so he was a rental. I, I have some fond memories because he goes to Edmonton that year, and he scores some some big goals for a team that makes the uh, makes the the Cup final. A decent player, but um, ultimately. Not not up to the level you would have thought as as rookie of the year. That's for sure. He's one of those players that kind of always left you wanting more, right? There's been a lot of them that you see these flashes of of how skilled they are and how good they can be, and but there's a lot of in between in between those moments of brilliance where you're wanting more and more. Um, all right, so ninth on the board is Washington. Uh, Washington Capitals. They're a really good team back in '97. They had a they had a really strong team. Yeah, they go to the Cup final the next year. Yeah, yeah, they were solid through and through. They had some good young players and some great old names. I think they're going to go with with Cleary here, move him up. I think what we said he went 15th overall in the actual. He went uh, 13th to Chicago. 13th, right. So going ninth overall moves him up the board just a few spots. I already shared some insight as to what I liked about him and lots of reasons why he would pick him and a lot of reasons why he ended up, ended up being a good pick. They're not the same reasons, but hey, he made it to the NHL. He had a long career. He scored pretty well. Uh, prolific scorer and junior and valuable member of the Detroit Red Wings in their, their cup hey, wins. I think he had three 20-goal seasons. Yeah. Again, cup winner, solid pro. Yeah. Um, at number 10, who, who am I picking for at number 10? Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver Canucks. Well, they did quite poorly with uh, the wrong Ferentz. So I'm not going to take the right Ferentz for them, but instead I'm going to give them a Christian Husalius. I remember him. Seven 20-goal seasons a 30-goal season, and that 30-goal season happened to be a 70-point season. Yeah, it's, it's thinning out. The pickings are getting a little bit, uh, a little bit thinner, but, uh, hey, like you said, he's, uh, he was a proven goal scorer in the NHL. Hey, did he play on a Ginla's line? That might have oh, yeah. He was, he was heavily in the mix with a Ginla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that doesn't hurt. Montreal Canadiens are, are picking at 11th. And well, you passed on the right Ference, but I won't. I'll take Andrew Ference here. I thought he uh, wasn't an incredible player, but we don't have any Hall of Fame players left available in this draft. Um, he did play for a long time. He had a lot of career games played. He was a reliable two-way defenseman, uh, you know, middle pairing kind of guy. Um, played with a bit of a physical edge. I always kind of had a spot, soft spot for Ference. I had him in a couple of fantasy pools. Maybe that's why. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're at the stage where we're just looking like it, it's pretty much just decent minute eating defensemen. Please don't break my back level. Like you took Andrew Ference at 11. I mean, he would have been a very good pro for Montreal had had they managed to take him. I think he goes in like the seventh round to Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. He's the part of uh, of a conference finalist team for them before the lockout. And then he goes to the cup final with Calgary and he wins the cup with Boston and he's on their next, their, their other Stanley cup final team. And then eventually Chiarelli's like, "Mm, you got to come be our captain in Edmonton. And it didn't end well for him there, but like he had a really good career and, and, and there's a reason why he he kept, uh, he kept finding teams to play on. Yeah. So Ottawa I think that, Senators, yeah, they, can't take, they can't take Hosa. Yeah, they they really wish they could take Hosa. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to give them Eric Brewer. He had a career. The guy ended up being the main piece in a trade for Chris Pronger. So he ate minutes for a really long time. Pre-lockout, he, he was giving you 22 plus minutes a night, and he actually played the style for the game of that time the Islanders trade him to Edmonton very early in his career for Roman Hammerlick, I believe. And um, in a trade, the Islanders may have even won, but Brewer played a significant role on some of those, some of those Edmonton teams that were just tough and scrappy and like never had any talent, but sure did put up a stink for teams like Colorado and Dallas who were legit cup contenders there in the late nineties and two thousands. And, I have some fond memories of him him playing for the Oilers, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him here for the Ottawa Senators. All right. Uh, Chicago, lucky 13. A couple of guys to choose from here. They're all kind of six to one, half a dozen to the other, but they're a couple different styles. So I think I'm going to go with the, the guy you love to hate and take Matt Cook. Uh, he's had a surprisingly decent offensive career he had some longevity to it and quite often more often than not he was on the the giving end of a of the business kind of a a hit and he's the kind of player that if he plays on your team he's an agitator and you and your fans love him and the rest of the league hates him which makes you love him even more um so i he's kind of a kind of a douchebag but hey i'd rather have him on my team than someone else's so i'll pick him yeah, I have memories of him being on a number of highly talented offensive teams and just being like the scuzz bucket on the fourth line, just like doing the worst things to the other team's top offensive players. And hitting their, hitting their knees. He had a long career of doing that. He would even fill in on, on top lines on occasion. Like, tell me, tell me more about him because I didn't even have Matt Cook on my list. Yeah, um, yeah, he's a he's a scuzzy, dirty player. He'd hit players in the knee. Um, you know, he'd get them all riled up and want to fight, and then he wouldn't fight them, right? Which is heavily against the code and makes people hate him even more. And all of that, you mix it all in. And but he was also a talented player. He could score as well, right? Like I'm not sure what his career stats were. I think uh, he he racks up like 360 some odd points. 
yeah. a point every three games, which I mean, as the scuzz bucket on your on your fourth line, like, right? Yeah, so kind of like a Matt Barnaby kind of player, like not a liability offensively or defensively, and he was a huge agitator. Um, those players, especially in the '90s, those players were super important, and you certainly wanted them on your team and not on the others, like I said. So, so they'll snap them up. So I'm up at uh, 14 here drafting for the Edmonton Oilers. And, I mean, it'd be hard to do worse than the Oilers did, but um, <laughs> it's going to be hard to do better. Like, let's talk about some of the guys. Like, we, we've already mentioned some of their names. Paul Mara, Nick Boynton, Joe Corvo, Scott Hannon. These guys eight minutes for – for lengthy amounts of time. Joe Corvo even got Norris votes one year. So he's in the mix, but... Uh, There's some, some players that had fantasy relevance for a short time as well, like Max Afinaginov. That was is hoping who He was, was going to be Burry. Yeah. I am taking Max Afinaginov. He had two seasons of in and around the 70-point range coming out of the lockout. Power play assassin. He took significant advantage of all those extra power play opportunities i think one of those years he gets like 30 power play points of his 60 he ends up even having a year with atlanta um where where he gets in the mix for for a third 60 point season many years after everyone had written him off so i'm i'm in it to have my heart broken by max afanaginov who also cannot shoot like gary curry but maybe he can play on the power play like him. Yeah, yeah, he had some wheels. He's one of those players that I wonder, you know, if if he ended up getting drafted by a different team, would that have helped his career or hurt it? Did he get the best chance with Buffalo when he had it? Or, you know, if he played with someone else that could have, like a different coach that would have deployed him differently or with a different center maybe, he would have had a different career and – we would have redrafted him a lot higher on the list or wouldn't have drafted him at all. Who knows? Um, that's, he's an interesting player. Uh, so that leaves me up last 15th Los Angeles Kings with their second pick in the, the Gretzky pick. You got to hit a home run here. Oh, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> if this guy isn't as good as Gretzky, then you did it wrong. Well, I can do better than Matt Zoltek. Sorry, Matt, but uh, not, not quite as good as Wayne. All right, so it could be Jason Chimera, it could be Corvo, it could be Ladislav Nagy. Uh, I have fond memories of Jason Chimera. Yeah, he's the guy a good had player. wheels. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's coming down to two players: it's Chimera or, or Hannon, um, the reliable defensive defenseman. Um, probably go Chimera. I have him slightly higher. Flip a coin, basically, between the two of them. Neither one of them was was particularly outstanding, but they both had long, solid careers. Um, so I'll Didn't take Hannon make an Olympic team? I swear that happened. Maybe. I'm looking this up. Canada, Canada made some questionable picks a couple of times. Oh, yeah. World oh, Cup. Did they ever. Yeah, he played in the World Cup, but not Olympics. Oh, okay. Well, thank God. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm angry about someone else being on one of those Olympic teams, though. Yeah. Yeah, so that was fun. That's a redraft. I think we mentioned most of the, the honorable mentions um, that, that we needed to mention. Now, if I tell you some of the guys who went undrafted, tell me if this changes your list at all. Uh, hmm. Eric Cole, Sean Horkoff, Ruslan Fedotenko, Yaroslav Spachek, and Marek Zidlitsky. Yeah, probably one of those guys might be able to to edge out a Matt Cook or a or a Finneganov or a Shamara or a Hannon. I mean, they're all in the same kind of kind of price range, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, like I, I can. Eric Cole case. was 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 pretty great, and then I think he broke his neck and yeah, lost yeah, he, a step. He definitely like he's he's in the mix with uh, right after Morrow and Samsonov and those guys among forwards. I think. And then I think you yeah. can make a case that Spachek or Zidlitsky, um, like they might be the second best defenseman in this draft if they're drafted. But uh, they go, they get drafted in later years. So, um, but those are, I'm, I think there are some more guys who go undrafted in this draft as well. But these guys were at least ranked by uh, CSS at the time. So I figured I'd throw their names out there. And with Cole and Horkoff, it was a case of, teams just weren't drafting guys who were going to college at that time. And then they went to college for one year and immediately got scooped up in the next year's draft. Cause they're like, Oh, Hey, these college kids are kind of good. Not shy from picking the college players anymore or the players committed to college, even though they could play out their four years and sign as a free agent anywhere they want teams still, uh, still go for them. Yeah. So Pete, in retrospect, who won this draft? Like we, we, we did, we did the redraft, but looking back on, on, on where players actually went, who won the draft? Yeah. So I think Boston did really well, obviously coming out with the best player. Um, and they didn't blow it with their next pick either getting Samsonov. Um, I think senators getting Hosa at 12th is larceny that's that's the best pick i mean picking fortin one doesn't wasn't very hard then and it wasn't very hard now uh, but for them to take hosa when they picked him and 11 other teams passed on him that's pretty amazing uh the islanders taking luongo and brewer did very well for themselves as well i liked uh i mean they they screwed up horribly immediately after <laughs> the trades that they made. Mike Milbury. Uh, Austin a little, a little later. Uh, hey, at least he drafted well. I'll give him that. Yeah, sometimes. 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 Not all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, lot, a, lot of, uh, a lot of good-looking ships pass through that port. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, so that's what jumps out to me as, uh, as highlights. And yeah, good that moves, shrewd moves from from this draft. That's who I had as well. I had Boston winning that draft as well. Um, I noted Buffalo. I think they end up with three or four NHLers out of this draft. Uh, Finneganov, Campbell. Uh, I drafted both those guys. Henrik Trelinder. He played some minutes, so uh, I think they did okay, especially for a team that I believe they didn't even have a first rounder. 
on, on the top 15. Uh, yeah, they picked 21st. And they took Mika Noranen. Oops. Yeah, that did not go well. Uh, don't That's draft. Don't take don't goalies draft. in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about the legacy of of some of the guys from this draft. Like we we already kind of touched on it. You know, could this have been the draft of the of the big losers? Like I barely have any recollection at all of Thornton as a Bruin. He goes on to have like a whole other hall of fame caliber career just just with the sharks um so pete like i think we both agree that he's he's an automatic hall of famer whenever he retires do you have any favorite thornton memories um you know beside the beard the thing that i think about right away and i talked about this with thornton is how brutal his his rookie season was and how much he looked like a complete bust at the first overall pick and he was being uh and that that was being personified by samsonov's rookie season winning the calder and now every time uh, a first overall pick comes along and struggles out of the gate kind of like jack hughes was doing earlier people automatically start saying oh yeah just like joe thornton he's just struggling and he'll get it he'll get it going sooner or later but then again you know maybe they don't maybe they're nail yakupov and, or alexander dag and it just never really comes together for them so I think he's always related to when, when first overall picks are in their rookie year and they're struggling, pe- people will, will make that analogy over and over again over, over time. So I think that's what stands out to me about him. That and the fact that he won everything but a Stanley Cup so far. It's interesting that there is a news uh, uh, story that he was pissed that he didn't get traded at the deadline this year. He wanted a shot to uh, Ray Borkett with someone else and, and try and win somewhere else with other than San Jose because they weren't making the playoffs this year. Uh, which really unfortunate about that is is there's not even going to be a Stanley Cup this year. So even if he did get traded and it would have tainted his San Jose Sharks legacy, uh, it would have been for nothing. He wouldn't even have had a Stanley Cup to play in, let alone try and win. Yeah, but he, he might be back next year and maybe San Jose is more competitive or maybe a, a team finds a fit for him. Like, you know, you think about what he can do for you now and mostly, like, he's just veteran leadership in the locker room and how many teams are looking for veteran leadership from a guy who, heavy on the quotations, hasn't won. He's made multiple conference finals, made the finals once, I remember him having some monster series in the second round and that like taking out all of his gas and like him either being hurt in the conference finals some years. Like I I just remember against those, those post cup uh, Detroit teams in 2010 and 11 that left the sharks wiped out by the time they hit the conference finals. So like, you know, the, the Blackhawks clean them off the board in, in 2010 and then the Canucks take them out in 2011. Um, like they just kind of ran out of gas seemingly every year. Like it, it just took a little bit too much for them to get over the hump throughout his career. And yeah, just... to, to say a player never won a Stanley Cup is one thing, right? Like Ole Okunen never won a Stanley Cup. Yeah. But there's a difference between Ole Okunen and Joe Thornton, right? Like Thornton played in the playoffs. He's played an amazing amount of playoff games and he's gone deep. He's gone far. He's come close, but 
you know, just never made it over the top. Well, Jokin and played yeah. six games. He had a ship. <laughs> Basically. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, he's going to go down with uh, guys like Lindros and, and the Sedins as, uh, or sorry, uh, uh, Henrik Sedin as Hart Trophy winners that, uh, that never won a cup. And then maybe some of, some of these recent guys like Taylor Hall's apparently not allowed access to the playoffs, except for that one time. Yeah. <laughs> like you would, you would say Hall's career right now is closer to Ole Okunen than it is um, to Joe Thornton. <laughs> Taylor but, Hall's like he's going to be winning draft lotteries for his team, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's had better luck doing that. But uh, yeah, Thornton, like he's he's a legend. He's I think I think my my biggest memory of him is is going to be a, a moment that wasn't even his. It was Tomas Hurdle scoring four goals and Joe Thornton uh, <laughs> describing very uh, very vividly what he might do if he ever scored four goals in a game. And, uh, and so now a, a four goal game will forever be known as uh, the rooster trick. I don't know what you're talking about, but that's probably for the better. <laughs> he said he'd whip his cock out. Really? <laughs> and oh, it was Joe. amazing. It was, it was the best post game <laughs> interview. <laughs> Well, I don't think Joe's ever scored four goals because I hadn't heard about it. Yeah, it, it, I, can, I can tell you that I looked it up. And matter-of-factly, he has never scored four goals in an NHL game. But I bet you he, is, he has led to some guys scoring four goals in an NHL game many a time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, goal scoring not his forte, but uh, let's, all, let's all breathe a sigh of relief for that. <laughs> So how about Luongo's legacy? Like we, we, we made reference to some of the stuff. We, re, we referenced his contract, which he was, he was quite vocal about. What, what do you remember uh, of Luongo? So, yeah, there's another player that was great and was never able to, to win. There's a long list of players that, that can say that. Um, but like the other guys we talked about, he, he has won a lot of other things, right? Like he's had his number retired by three of the teams that he's played for at least going back to junior. Um, he won a Q championship. He's won some uh, medals with Canada. Um, you know, so he didn't not win. He was in the news a lot because he was trade rumor all the time while he was in Vancouver in the last couple of years there. So he was talked about regularly uh, and his comments on his contract made that even more notable. All that aside, though, he was just a damn good goalie. He was just very, very, very good. I'm not sure I'd put him quite in the category as, as Hasek Perdue or, or Patrick Waugh, right, in that tier of greatness, but he's on the next level. He's, uh, just, he's just below that, that tier for me. Hell of a Twitter follow. Absolutely. Strong bone. Yeah. Like, I think it says something and that these two players, like, they never won. So, like, our, our favorite things are all about them are almost, like, things that happened off ice. Such good caretakers of the game, these two. They never really got into any 
off ice troubles where it's like these guys are in the news for for the wrong reasons so all the all we ever had to pick them apart about was the fact that they just never quite won hoisted the cup they they never quite got there so for me like the the fact that they their lasting legacy is going to be stuff that they did off ice i think we're going to remember these guys even more fondly like it's going to be similar to charles barkley he never won an nba championship and he might be more popular now than he was in his heyday because he's on the tnt broadcasts and like he's he's maybe the best nba uh guy there is and there's a future for luongo and thornton in media if they, if they want to because these guys are are genuine characters and, and good caretakers of the game um so i think that you know we do this redraft in 20 years and these guys are still going to be number one and two even though they never won yeah yeah they're they're both going in the hall of fame and i don't think there's any question about that Thank you so much for coming on and doing this 1997 redraft with me, Pete. Um, I, I think this went really well. Uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. We'll talk. We'll talk. But um, Pete, tell me, tell me what you got going on other than uh, a COVID-19 lockdown. That is it. I'm uh, watching some Netflix, playing some video games. You got That's anything uh, cooking over uh, Dauber Prospects Radio? Um, something I'm working on right now with a couple of the writers is, uh, organizational prospect ranking where me and, uh, four or five other guys are doing a top 10 or so for each team. And I'm going to compile everyone's lists and make a consensus overall ranking and, and try and find some way to, uh, give someone, some people something to read hockey related. Cause there's, there's not a lot of news coming out. I haven't been doing a lot of the podcast episodes for a few months, but uh, I'm, I'm thinking about using this time to, to burn out a couple, um, find some things to talk about, maybe do um, a draft ranking of my own. Uh, maybe talk about some of the college players that are signed as, as free agents. If I can find someone as a guest that, that watches a lot more college hockey than, than I'm able to catch up here in Canada. Um, yeah, that's about it, man. How about you? You doing any, other hockey related stuff no this is it this this project is going to be hopefully something that recurs as long as we're not doing a whole heck of a lot else um <laughs> and, and the technical side and and all this time off is is certainly the inspiration for doing it so again thanks pete all right that's it for the show thank you so much for tuning in jumbo size shout out to my guest peter harling of dog prospects radio i hope you all enjoyed listening to that redraft as much as we enjoyed recording it hopefully there are more of these to come so like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts